This is In Focus. I'm Jeff Williams. So far this year, we've experienced extreme forest fires as well as a very active hurricane season. Brandon Derman is an assistant professor of environmental studies at the University of Illinois Springfield. I recently talked with him about the impact of our changing climate on society. This book started with my dissertation project, and it kind of became um, a labor of love, something that felt like a, a responsibility to finish. And, um, you know, throughout, I think what motivated me was was working with my students, you know, back when I was a, a grad student beginning to think about climate justice, and I was already teaching. And uh, now that I work at UIS and I'm, I'm teaching here, um, you know, it's kind of for my students and, and other people like them. Um, really anyone who wants to understand the complicated problem of climate injustice and who wants to get inspired, frankly, by the work of some incredibly selfless and insightful activists. You know, those are the people that I met and followed around and, and talked to who kept me motivated and, and who, who convinced me, you know, that this was something that, um, that, that I needed to do whatever I could uh, for. So it is a real combination, as you say. Um, it's supposed to show um, – the value of thinking with some abstract categories and looking at the world in detail, but also to to help motivate people. Part of the, the title is, is is climate justice. As as a, I'm gathering it's it's really sort of I guess kind of a, of a movement. How would you define what climate justice is? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Thanks, Jeff, because, you know, it is part of the book and part of what got me really interested in the topic. Um, climate justice has a lot of different meanings. They're, they're plural. Um, you know, I'm a social scientist by training. I'm not a philosopher or a lawyer, and I also come from a relatively privileged background. So it's really not for me, I think, to define um, in a limiting sense what, what climate justice is or what it, what it might mean, what it needs to look like. Um, you know, when I got interested in the topic, uh, I saw right away that there was a real diversity in the movement. A lot of people from very different backgrounds and positions taking part, and I got interested in that in itself, and I, I wanted to understand what it might mean for people coming from different places and experiences and, and how different groups might actually come together to to affect change. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I explain climate justice to people, which I am doing all the time, you know, in, in, in the scope of my work and in other conversations, uh, you know, I use those terms that, that are maybe a little awkward and a little academic that are in the book where I'm thinking about how there's a global problem of climate change, but there are also these profoundly uneven geographies that um, mm-hmm. that characterize climate change. And, and I can talk some more about that if, um, if, if you'd like. We hear the term climate change a lot, and it, and the 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 scientific aspects of that get get, get debated a lot. From your perspective, I guess maybe I should ask: What is the correct way to refer to the changes that we're seeing in our in our climate? Mm-hmm. And that may be a politically correct way of asking: sure. you know, Is there climate change, or what? Or how real is the impact of uh, that we're seeing in in the changes in in our climate on on our society? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a I would say there's a deep and broad consensus amongst scientists, amongst people that have looked at the patterns in the data and that have tried to predict what might happen in the future. Um, And there's a really deep and broad agreement that there is climate change that's happening and people, um, our our choices, our behaviors, our systems of of making energy, um, using energy, those are the primary causes of of the warming of the world that we're experiencing. And, you know, how we refer to it, that, that has changed a bit over time. As, as you suggest, some people use the term climate change. Some people use the term global warming. Uh, I just heard, uh, I think, Amy Goodman yesterday talking about 
global heating. Um, you know, there's and increasingly people are talking about the climate crisis, um, especially young people, um, because there's a real sense that um, as basically the the atmosphere um, it takes in more, it's containing more energy. The Earth system is containing more energy as we trap uh, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And that's just more energy to, to exert itself as, as heat, as force in storms. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's a real process. It's happening. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, some of us are a lot more insulated from it. A lot of the people that can do more about it are more insulated from the impacts. And that's kind of part of the political problem, if you will, that goes along with climate change. You have a lot to unpack in uh, yeah. in, in, the, in the book. So I want to just kind of focus on, on, on uh, I want to talk a little bit about one area here that I found that was kind of interesting, um, and in that you look at, you, you mentioned uh, the impact that climate has had on, on, on various uh, individuals and folks and societies and, and, and geographic regions. And I, I can't help but think, over the years, I've, I've talked a lot with, interviewed a numerous uh, indigenous people in Alaska and in the Anwar region, and, they, and, and they've talked about how they've seen changes there in, in, in the ice cap and in, and in um, like migration of, of, of polar bears and just yeah. cha- significant changes in, in the impact that um, they don't really have any other explanation for other than the weather's been different and the climate's been different and it's changing their, 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 their way of life. What do we need to understand about the impact that climate has not only on, on geographical regions but on, on, on people and societies? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's a great question, and you're pointing to one of the most, uh, what, what what people sometimes call a, a canary in the coal mine, you know, a, a kind of leading indicator of um, of the kind of changes that, that we're all heading towards when, when you speak of the Arctic and especially um, indigenous people who have lived in the Arctic over generations and, and who, because of their culture, because of their lifestyles, um, they're a bit more connected to the environment than a lot of us are in, in other places. Um, you know, I think that one of the ways I uh, I try to think about climate change and the kinds of impacts that it has. Well, two ways, I guess. One is this kind of kind of conundrum that it's both global and it's uneven. Um, that it has these profoundly different local impacts, um, and also an idea of of connection. Um, so we know that there's a, a globalness, a globality, we might say, to, to climate change. You know, um, the atmosphere mixes everywhere, and so um, the concentrations of greenhouse gases they become roughly equal everywhere because they're getting mixed in the atmosphere, and you know the processes of circulation up there um, are spreading the effects. Um, but that also means that because of the shapes of the the continents on the planet, the motions of the Earth, um, we get concentrations of effects, even just basic things like changes in temperature or changes in precipitation. Those aren't happening at the same rate. They're not even happening in the same direction in different parts of the world. So the Arctic, as you suggest, is warming a lot faster than other areas of the globe. And and so um, folks who live up there who might be relying, uh, for example, on traditional foods from hunting and fishing, um, you know, they're also relying on the solidity of the ice that they're using as um, that they live on or that they hunt on. Um, and so the kinds of changes that I'm interested in, it got me kind of really intellectually excited and also worried about climate change are these connections so that we get um, physical systems changing. Um, that takes a different shape in different places. And those changes kind of 
if you will, they kind of trickle through systems. So, you know, temperature and precipitation change, that changes something like, um, you know, fish populations in different parts of the world. I use an example in, in the book that comes right out of the, um, the IPCC where they're looking at mm-hmm. um, the size of fish, the depth that those fish like to be at, even the latitude they, they like to be at, and mapping how that's going to change in different parts of the world. So, you know, if you're fishing and you're up in Norway, you know, that actually might look kind of good for you in the next few decades. But if you're down in Bangladesh, um, that area of the world, and you're fishing, that's going to spell real trouble for you. And so those things kind of trickle through our systems, whether they're food systems, economic systems, whatever we rely on. Um, ultimately, that goes back to these, uh, these environmental bases. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the idea of connection that, that I'm interested in. You'd, you'd used a term a little earlier on that I wanted to kind of circle back to. You'd, you'd, mentioned, you'd talked about the, um, about the climate in, in, in justice. So what, how do you define that? What do you consider to be, or what is considered to be climate injustice? Yeah, yeah, sure. And that's a, that's a key term for the book, key term for, you know, a lot of social movement organizers, a lot of advocates, um, even a lot of lawyers these days thinking in terms of, of okay. climate justice. I mean, look, the basic problem is that as a species, we're radically altering, even perhaps destroying some aspects of the planet that is our home. And that's going to affect us all eventually, um, as, as well as the rest of life. But it also so happens that some of us are contributing and have contributed more to the problem, um, a whole lot more than others. Um, and then there are other groups uh, who are experiencing and will experience the worst and first impacts. And the real kicker, the real problem here, um, which becomes a problem politically, is that the distributions of responsibility and impact for human-caused climate change, they're roughly inverse to each other. So that mm. those that are worst off in the climate crisis have also done least to cause it in general, and, and vice versa. So that's kind of the, the crux of the climate justice problem. You have a number of, uh, of kind of case studies or examples th- throughout the book. You kind of talked about the canary in the coal mine. What are some other hot spots, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, yeah, around, no. around the globe that, that deserve and warrant attention? Yeah, great question. Um, so, so as you mentioned earlier, the Arctic, um, that's one that, that has gotten a lot of, um, I guess, uh, exposure, for lack of a better term, you know, people kind of coming to understand it. Um, areas that are coastal um, are uh, quite vulnerable these days to um, rising seas and um, the more powerful storms that go along with warmer oceans. Um, and then those things kind of compound each other. They kind of sit on top of each other, right? If you've already got uh, a little bit higher sea level and then all of a sudden you're getting somewhat stronger storms than, than normal, well, then that's going to have a bigger impact on the coastlines. And that's really everywhere around the world, whether you're in you know, a, a poor and developing country or you're in um, one of the more highly developed and, and, and rich countries of the world, those, those coastal areas are, are really um, subject to a lot of impact. But we see it in you know, uh, the, the valley in, in California, too, the, the wildfires, um, even flooding in the Midwest. You know, last year was huge for flooding in the Midwest. We lost a ton of crops. And, um, you know, one of the trickier things with climate change is um, the idea of attribution, right? You might be familiar with um, especially climate scientists who are, who are really trying to be as rigorous as they can be, saying, yeah, hot day in the summer or um, kind of warm January. Well, we can't really 
point a finger at that and say, hey, that's climate change. But what we can do is say, uh, and with a pretty high level of precision these days, well, that's, uh, that's X number of, of percent more likely under climate change. You know, it's, it's uh, much more likely that these patterns happen, the patterns that we're seeing happen, given um, what we know about that increased energy that the Earth system is holding because of all those uh, greenhouse gases in, in the atmosphere. Yeah. I wanted to ask about you, and it's... I think alluded to in the title of the book. You, you you look at the at the politics and a lot of the policy in this is as well. And what role has policy played or is playing right now? And how important is is that role? Yeah, I have another great question. And and uh, you know, I had a I did a session with um, actually one of the Cap Honors classes here. We were just talking about Cap Honors at at UIS. And um, I, I went into one of the biology classes. They do these great um, courses that are kind of interdisciplinary. And um, the question they kind of gave me was, you know, so so the U.S. Uh, drops out of the the UN agreement on, on climate change, you know, which is kind of like it's kind of in the works that mm-hmm. that process right now. Um, uh, how does that does that matter, you know? Um, and the kind of the way I understood that question was, you know, uh, look if. If we're if the problem is still going on, you know, um, do these policy debates matter? How do they matter? Does you know does whether we participate in something like the UN matter or not? You know, um, and that's been uh, actually one of the settings of, of my research. I've spent a bunch of time at I even mean, brought students now to some of the UN climate negotiations. Um, I think the people who I know that have been involved in those for something like 20 years, you know, longer, um, longer than I have, um, what they would say is, hey, it's, it's not a silver bullet, you know, um, but there is no silver bullet. And there's, uh, there's a need to be working on the climate issue from a number of different directions at the same time, um, you know, whether that's people doing, making their own personal choices, you know, mm-hmm. um, that, that are going to reduce their, their footprint, whether there are people who are participating in, in activism and advocacy and people, you know, working on the policy side, all those things I think we have to say are, are necessary at this point, even though none, no single one of those things is, um, is the end-all, be-all. So many of our policies, or a lot of the policies, are obviously controlled by um, by a quasi-governmental or political unit of of, of some sort. Mm-hmm. I always wonder: is there a is there a balance between the policy and the administration of the policy? That mm. Has to be. Yeah, and by administration of the policy, you 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 mean kind of like the implementation, implementation. like how how the sure. rubber hits yes. the road, as it were. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, I also teach courses in the, in the policy realm here, here at UIS. And one of the things that we, that we really focus on, maybe even harp on probably some of the students would say is that policy is, is a process. It's not, um, we're not talking about, you know, writing up of a plan or a policy and, and, um, you know, we know that those words don't self-implement, as it were, uh, and there are kind of these moments of, of translation between the writing of a policy and the implementation of a policy, and, and that, that really matters. I mean, we've seen that, you know, for example, in um, in, in things like um, like voting rights and, and the racial justice debates that are kind of raging right now and, um, in, in our country, you know, that uh, we have to kind of track 
the processes of implementing policy all the way through, you know, something like the National Environmental Policy Act, which was uh, passed into law um, actually under the Nixon administration in 1970, uh, written largely by uh, a political science professor in Indiana. Um, you know, that law has been on the books now, uh, you know, since 1970, um, but it's evolved over time and it's continuing to evolve. The interpretation of it, it continues to evolve and, and the decisions about implementation um, by, by federal agencies, by state agencies, those things are really crucial. And so, yeah, it's a real kind of, um, it's a process of kind of mindful, you know, keeping at it over, over decades, really. I often wonder if I'm assuming in a perfect world the science would drive the policy, but if policy is also sometimes driving the science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that gets to a deep question, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of a, uh, a faculty mentor that I that I had who, who said, you know, we, we measure what we value and we value what we measure. You know, it, it can kind of go both ways, um, you know, especially when you're looking at at science, um, yeah, you know, policy at some level drives science because um, science needs the support of of society. It needs often financial support to to get done, and um, and so yeah, we're uh, you know, frankly, we're at a, a moment of kind of risk of of losing our edge um, as, um, as as the U.S. in, in terms of uh, things like climate science, um, and also kind of losing track of of some changes that um, that we'd really like to be able to keep track of to better understand things like climate change. So, so yeah, there is a there is a clear in, important relationship between between science and policy for sure. In terms of climate justice and in terms of 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 the future, what what is the one thing that's kind of out there on the horizon that that you think we that that we need to keep our our eye mm. on? Yeah, well, you know, so the science will kind of, um, one of the things that's happened in, in this kind of nexus of science and policy is that a number of different targets have been identified. Um, so you may, um, your listeners may be familiar with the idea of um, a two-degree um, target uh, for warming. Um, you know, we talk about that, like, I think, in most kind of classes when you're looking at um climate policy or climate change, that uh, a lot of the science over the um, really kind of latter 20th century um, predictions were kind of saying, hey, let's try to keep the warming within two degrees centigrade, right, so bigger degrees than um, than Fahrenheit degrees. Uh, Let's try to keep that warming since the Industrial Revolution to um, to within two degrees centigrade, and then, yeah, the climate's going to change some for those um, those reasons of momentum that we talked about earlier, um, but we're going to we're going to keep it safe, and it's going to uh, allow us some time to shift the the energetic basis of our economies so that we can um, guide them into this low carbon or or no carbon um, uh, form. And you know, unfortunately, uh, one of the trends in the last few years um, in the science is that, for for one thing. Um, we are generally hitting the the higher marks of the earlier predictions, right? Generally, uh, the change is happening a little faster, or it's on the on the faster end of what uh, scientists were predicting. Um, and also, you know, um, science is at some level kind of a conservative discipline because we're always being really careful to um, to share the the uncertainties and acknowledge the uncertainties in the science and uh, and so you know you could make the argument that that we've been a little cautious in our in our predictions and so 
what that adds up to is that we're probably in a little bit worse shape than we thought we would be, you know, 20 years ago when um, when uh, I was like a high school student getting kind of interested in environmental causes and things. Uh, so now we're looking at a target where 1.5, even some would say one degree, that's where we really want to be, but we're kind of overshooting that. Um, and so we're at this moment where some of the targets that people are talking about in the science and policy discussions around climate change, they're more like, hey, let's get to zero emissions by 2050. Um, uh, things like that, you know, let, time limits where we need to be reaching um, reaching zero emissions um, in order to bend the curve. Now now everyone in the U.S. is, is familiar with the idea of bending the curve. Well, we need to yes. bend that curve in terms of emissions to keep us in the safe zone um, ecologically. So, Brad, just kind of come full circle now. Um, what do you hope that people that, that hear this and that, 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 that pick up the book, what do you hope that they take away from the, the, the studies and the experiences that, that you highlight and outline in the, in the book? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that earlier you asked about, you know, the different kinds of, uh, of climate justice and, and, and what that might mean. And, um, you know, climate change means different things for different groups of people and, and in different places. Um, but it really is kind of coming for all of us, you know, and uh, whether we're in these more vulnerable groups or not. And, and so going back to the kind of more academic part of the book where, you know, I really got interested in, in how climate change kind of takes on meaning, you know, whether that's in a rural place um, like for ranchers in Nebraska that, that makes the connections between, um, you know, the use of water um, being withdrawn from the Ogallala Aquifer and um, the, the threats from, uh, from a pipeline project that might, uh, that, that might contaminate that aquifer, uh, whether that's, you know, uh, uh, people of color um, living in um, "quote unquote" in, uh, environmental justice communities in in major cities or or on um, the Gulf Coast, you know, there's a lot of different flavors, if you will, of the kinds of impacts that we're going to see from from climate change. Um, and you know, because people are starting to understand that in these many different places, there's also a lot of inspiring work that's being done um, to kind of first really acknowledge those those impacts and and um, and then start to start to try to address them um, using the kinds of um, already existing political movements and cultural values um, that exist in, in all these different places and I think that's where you know the climate justice movement kind of points at, at some level and um, I think it's really promising I think that you know we need to look for for hope to stay motivated in the face of something like climate change. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I really tried to do in the book was really share some of the stories that I found most inspiring from um, from advocates and, and activists who were working on those issues and, and trying to find ways that they really, um, that they take on meaning in their own communities. That's Brandon Derman, Assistant Professor of Environmental Studies at the University of Illinois Springfield. His new book is Struggles for Climate Justice. You can hear our full interview on our webpage, WSI. I'm Jeff Williams.